Welcome to the podcast, episode 26, Youth Living in Out-of-Home Care Who Are Involved with the Criminal Justice System. The podcast series brings evidence-informed child welfare practices to life by highlighting literature reviews from the Particle Archive. This particle outlines information pertaining to youth living in out-of-home care who have become involved in the criminal justice system. The prevalence of this issue, risk factors for delinquency, mental health of youth living in out-of-home care, and current interventions in place for this population are discussed. Canadian Youth Justice System The Youth Criminal Justice Act, the YCJA, is the federal youth justice statute in Canada since April 1, 2003. The YCJA applies to youth who are at least 12 years old, but younger than 18 years of age and governs the activities within the youth justice system when a youth is alleged to have committed a criminal offence. Children under 12 years of age, the Criminal Code of Canada states, No person shall be convicted of an offence in respect of an act or omission on his part while the person was under the age of 12 years. This section does not mean that there are no consequences to actions committed by youth under the age of 12. However, the YCJA would not be applied to this population. For more information on the background of the YCJA, provisions made to the Act since its enactment, youth sentencing, custody, and circumstances in which youth would be given adult sentences, among other information, please refer to the Justice Department of Canada website. Prevalence of the Problem a report by the Office of Child and Family Service Advocacy revealed that 48% of interviewed youth placed in open custody and open detention facilities in Ontario had a history of being involved with the child welfare system. The 2011 Statistics Canada Census revealed that 0.8% of children aged 14 and under lived in a household other than their parental home, and 0.5% of children aged 14 and under were living in out-of-home care. In Canada, children aged 14 and under account for 61.8% of children in out-of-home care. These statistics highlight the over-representation of foster children in the criminal justice system. Previous research has also illustrated that youth previously placed in out-of-home care have higher rates of involvement with the criminal justice system compared to youth living with their caregivers of origin. A secondary analysis examining offending behavior of youth living in out-of-home care during the transition to adulthood was conducted based on the results of two studies, the Midwest Study of the Adult Functioning of Former Foster Youth and the National Longitudinal Study of Adolescent Health. The Midwest Study of the Adult Functioning of Former Foster Youth is a longitudinal study that followed the progress of a sample of 732 youth placed in out-of-home care due to maltreatment and or neglect. The National Longitudinal Study of Adolescent Health is a study that assessed the transition to adulthood for a nationally representative sample of same-aged peers. Results illustrate that youth between 17 to 18 years old, aging out of the child welfare system, had higher rates of offending across a wide range of criminal behaviors. And although offending behavior decreased at age 19 years, 
foster youth at age 19 were over 10 times more likely to report having been arrested since age 18 compared to the same aged peers. Risk Factors for Criminal Behavior Risk Factors Among All Youth In this context, a risk factor is a characteristic, variable, or circumstance that, if present for a given individual, increases their probability in comparison to someone selected from the general population of criminally offending. The risk factors for juvenile delinquency are divided into individual factors, family factors, peer factors, or organizational factors. Examples of individual factors include substance abuse, male gender, hyperactivity, antisocial behavior, beliefs, or attitudes, medical or physical problems, and low IQ. Examples of family factors could include low socioeconomic status or poverty, antisocial parents, poor parent-child relationships, broken homes, and separation from parents. Peer factors could include weak social ties, antisocial or delinquent peers, and gang membership. Organizational factors include things in school, such as poor attitude, poor performance, or academic failure. These factors can also be found in the community, for example, neighborhood crime, drugs, or neighborhood disorganization. Additional risk factors that apply to males only include aggression, early onset dishonesty, difficulty concentrating, and family conflict. Risk factors, the overrepresentation of youth living in out-of-home care involved with the criminal justice system. Some of the primary reasons that children are transferred to out-of-home care from their parental homes include neglect, maltreatment, family violence, and parental difficulties. Thus, it is likely that if a child is placed in out-of-home care, it is due to an unstable home environment. Consequently, these children acquire multiple family-related risk factors for subsequent criminal behavior. Children who experience maltreatment have demonstrated a higher likelihood of presenting with externalizing and internalizing behavioral problems. Externalizing behavior is defined as negative behaviors that are directed towards the external environment as a means of an individual expressing their negative emotions outward to other people or other things. Examples of externalizing behaviors include physical aggression towards others, verbal bullying, defiance, theft, and delinquency, among other potential examples. Internalizing behaviors, on the other hand, refer to the problematic behaviors that are directed toward the self by individuals who direct their anger inward. Examples of internalizing difficulties may include anxiety, depression, and social withdrawal. These behaviors are less visible to others and thus may go unattended compared to presentations of externalizing behaviors. A discussion of mental health among youth living in out-of-home care will highlight some of the most common mental health diagnoses among this population, with some of the diagnoses involving externalizing symptoms, some involving more internalizing symptoms, but more likely all involving a combination of both. Several factors pertaining to the characteristics of the maltreatment, such as the type of maltreatment, can affect the level of risk of these children becoming involved in the juvenile justice system. For example, physical abuse has been associated with antisocial problems, sexual behavior problems, and externalizing behavior problems. 
Sexual abuse has been associated with internalizing and externalizing problems, sexual behavior problems, and risk of faster placement in a detention center. Childhood neglect has been linked to both violence and internalizing behavior problems. Finally, all types of maltreatment, including emotional abuse, have been associated with an increased risk of substance abuse problems. These findings are important as they highlight that some children may exhibit internalizing behavior as a result of their experiences, whereas others may exhibit externalizing behavior. It is important to acknowledge that there are youth who possess a degree of resiliency that leads them to exhibit minimal problematic internalizing or externalizing behavior throughout development. A multi-systemic exploration of the factors contributing to the increased risk of delinquency among youth in foster care would likely present numerous findings that highlight how procedures within organizations and collaboration between different organizations can potentially alleviate the risk of criminal activity among youth. For instance, if there is poor communication between child welfare organizations and police forces, this can lead to a host of problems for youth in foster care that become involved with the law. An example of this scenario that highlights the significance of organizations may be such that a youth gets in trouble with the law, is arrested, and then brought into the police station. This youth is then asked for the contact information for anyone to come take him or her home. Not only may this youth not have a good sense of where home is, but may also feel like they cannot call their biological parents due to the circumstances that caused their separation, yet he or she may also not have gained the trust in their foster home caregivers to call them. Thus, the youth is left presenting no address or contact information to the police, exasperating the emotionally damaging feelings of loneliness and anger for their situation they may be experiencing. Also, if there is no collaboration between the police and child welfare organizations, the contact information that police have may be for their parents whom they have been separated from, and this contact may generate its own problems. It is important to acknowledge the psychological consequences that multiple placements, parental separation, and maltreatment can have on youth. A psychological analysis of youth going through foster care and adults that have experienced out-of-home care as youth would likely produce an uncertainty of personal identity and a negative impact of foster care on identity development, as well as a negative effect in core beliefs related to their adverse familial experiences and different residential placements. It is not surprising that children who have been through foster care experience a heightened risk for multiple mental health diagnoses. Mental health of youth living in out-of-home care. Youth living in out-of-home care have disproportionately high rates of mental health diagnoses as compared to youth who have never been placed in such care. The five most prevalent of these diagnoses in youth living in out-of-home care are depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, adjustment disorder, oppositional defiant disorder, and conduct disorder. The exact rate of mental health disorders among youth living in foster care varies across the literature. Although it does demonstrate conclusively that there are greater rates of mental health challenges and diagnoses as compared to youth who have never lived in out-of-home care. It is estimated that approximately 1 in 10 children and youth in the general population have been diagnosed with a mental health disorder. Depending on the research, it is estimated that between 40 and 85% of youth in out-of-home care have a mental health disorder. Youth living in out-of-home care also have a three times greater likelihood of developing depression as well as a two times the rate of post-traumatic stress disorder as compared to the general population of youth.
It is important to note that estimates of mental health disorder rates differ widely due to various levels of worker experience with mental health, differing or no assessment tools, and accessibility to mental health residential care and community services. The literature suggests that youth living in foster care receive an inadequate level of mental health services, disproportionate to the rate of mental health disorders in the population. Although between one-half and three-fourths of children entering foster care demonstrate emotional and behavioral symptoms that necessitate mental health treatment, and considerably more than a third of this population has a mental health diagnosis, less than a third receive mental health services. This poor access to services is attributed to a lack of mental health training in both child welfare workers and foster families, as well as a scarcity of mental health professionals available to this population. Many mental health disorders go undiagnosed due to a lack of knowledge of the child's environment. Because no diagnosis is made, certain mental health challenges present in childhood may not be adequately addressed at their early onset, potentially leading to the exasperation of these problems into adulthood. For example, poor outcomes are exemplified when oppositional defiant disorder is not appropriately identified. Diagnosing and treating oppositional defiant disorder is a protective factor in preventing conduct disorder. Without treatment, however, oppositional defiant disorder may develop into a conduct disorder, which can then become the serious adult mental disorder antisocial personality disorder. Although children and youth living in out-of-home care are an underserved population in terms of mental health services, There are interventions that have been proven to be effective in both preventing and treating delinquent behavior. These successes exemplify the need to invest more time and resources into children and youth living in out-of-home care. Interventions and intervention models for children exhibiting delinquent behavior. The Incredible Years Intervention. This intervention is conducted with children in middle childhood living in out-of-home care that are considered to be at risk for or exhibiting conduct problems. The aim of this approach is to reduce the externalizing behaviors of the children living in out-of-home care. This approach involves a co-parenting element where both biological and foster caregivers collaborate to develop knowledge of one another. Using open discussion and compromise, the biological and foster caregivers collaboratively make decisions on family visitation, daily procedures, household rules, and disciplinary techniques. This intervention produced improvements in positive discipline and parenting skills. This approach, however, did not accomplish the goal of the program, specifically to generate a reduction in children's externalizing behaviors. Keeping Foster Parents Trained and Supported KEEP is a 16-week-long program which involves the educating, instructing, supervising, and support of new foster parents in the application of behavior management techniques. The goal of this intervention is to reduce behavior problems in primary school-aged children in out-of-home care. KEEP has proven effective in accomplishing this goal. This intervention produced an increased likelihood of reunification between out-of-home care child and their biological, adoptive, or relative families. KEEP also showed an increase in placement stability as compared to the control group of children who did not participate in KEEP. Middle School Success MSS is a byproduct of KEEP, aiming to reduce behavior problems in children transitioning from primary to middle school. MSS includes six group sessions for youth, occurring over the summer leading up to the child's first year of middle school. These sessions aim to build behavior management skills in the child. The foster caregiver also attends group-based sessions, focusing on behavior management techniques. 
Beginning at the start of middle school, the child ends the group format and begins weekly individual sessions focusing on skill building that continues through the entirety of the school year. MSS proved effective in decreasing both externalizing and internalizing behaviors. A decrease in these behaviors was substantiated at 6, 12, and 24-month follow-ups. In addition, there was less tobacco and marijuana use in youth who had participated in MSS at the 36-month follow-up, compared to the control group of youth who did not participate in the program. Fostering Individualized Assistant Program The aims of this intervention are to reduce both emotional and behavior problems while increasing stability in out-of-home placements. This intervention works to surround a child with services tailored to their individual and family situation. The Fostering Individualized Assistance Program includes conducting an assessment taken from a strength-based approach. This intervention includes life domain planning, a clinical caseworker, as well as a variety of other supportive services. As compared to the control group of children who did not participate in this intervention, the participants had fewer incarcerations, less runaways, and more stability in their out-of-home care placement. Multidimensional Treatment Foster Care for Adolescents The MTFCA features six to nine-month-long placements with intensely trained caregivers in a community home. The caregivers in the placement are rigorously trained, overseen, and supported in order to deliver positive guidance and mentorship for adolescents under their care. This intervention also features planned educational interventions in the home among the youth. This program proved effective in reducing rates of arrest and negative peer association among participants. Furthermore, female participants had a significantly lower rate of pregnancy compared to the control group who did not participate in the program. There was no reported decrease in delinquency among girls in the program who self-reported post-intervention. Due to its success, this program was replicated in Sweden. In the Swedish program, depression rates were two times greater for the control group of adolescents who did not participate in the program. Moreover, the Swedish participants demonstrated a decrease in both externalizing and internalizing problems. There are a number of programs that have been proven effective in reducing criminal and aggressive behavior in children and adolescents who do not necessarily reside in out-of-home care. Home visits, parent training program, as well as school-based programs have all been effective in this area. Home visitation includes trained professionals and community members visiting children and their parents while supporting and teaching various parenting skills. This approach has been proven to significantly reduce arrest rates in adolescents who previously exhibited criminal behavior, as well as decrease the likelihood of children committing criminal acts in general. School-based programs have also reduced delinquent acts and increased educational achievement in children and adolescents with criminal and aggressive tendencies. This intervention provides a supportive, motivational school environment where pupils feel both supported emotionally and academically and their behaviors are managed well. This is paired with another component where students are worked with and trained on an individual basis. Randomized control trials, RCTs, are important when considering the efficacy or effectiveness of an intervention. When an intervention results in significant outcomes using a randomized control trial, we can be pretty certain that the outcomes are a result of the intervention because we controlled for the other potential causes using this methodology. When you are considering the efficacy of an intervention, it is important to think critically about the methodology. <laughs>